0: This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, editor-in-chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. Today, I'm joined once again by Debbie Craig to continue our discussion on the neuroscience of peak performance and culture shift. Of course, today we're looking at part two, in which Debbie gives us the ins and outs of the change process. Now, Debbie is the founder and MD of Catalyst Consulting, and she has been transforming organizations, teams, and individuals for 20 years, both locally and internationally. Welcome, Debbie. It's great to have you back with us.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. It's great to be here and to delve
0: into this exciting topic. Fantastic. So Debbie, getting into our topic for today, the ins and outs of change, really take us through the process of change. How do we go about changing our behavior? Because it is probably one of the most difficult things to do on an individual level, never mind when we try and shift organizations.
1: Wouldn't it be lovely if we could just wake up one morning and decide we want to become fitter and healthier and a better person and it would just happen. And so the, the more I delve into this stuff and the more I realize how much in our brains and our bodies are programmed responses. And it's really hard to change behavior when all your neural paths are geared towards processing information and data in a particular way because our brains have been set up and is almost this perfect record of everything we've been, everything we've experienced, everything we've done, everything we've thought about. So in order to process new data in new ways and show up in a different way to change the behavior, we have to actually go back to what's going on in our brains and take some time to be able to create new neural paths. But that's really difficult because most times when we decide that we want to change something and think about it for yourself, if you're wanting to change a healthy habit, if you're wanting to learn a new language, if you're wanting to show up as a better parent and get and be better at listening or be less busy or take more time and have more self-care, which a lot of us are needing to do at the moment with this massive change that we're going through, we need to be able to find ways to actually train our brains and cultivate a different level of thinking. When we're calm and when we've got lots of space in our heads and if you think about maybe after a holiday, I'm lucky I've just come back from a week's leave and my brain is feeling clear and I'm seeing things very differently. But most of the time, most of us are in a stress response and they say that 70% minimum of our time, our bodies and our brains are actually just processing fears and threats and risks in the outside environment for us to be able to make sure that we're safe. And when we are faced with all this barrage of demands, and we were just t- talking about it now, Kieran, there's COVID impact, there's health impacts, there are restructuring in organisations, there are people it's coming and leaving, there are issues in our personal family lives. In South Africa now, we have load shedding and power outages, we have petrol price increases. And these are all the things that take us away from our centre, where we are calm and we can think clearly and we can make great decisions and we can stay On track with our new behaviors and our new habits, but these are the things that push us out of that. The work that I've been doing with Dr. Joe Dispenza and the Change Your Mind program is noticing if there's three things that us as individuals, and then we can extrapolate that into organizations, that we need to get better at or become greater than. So if we can become greater than our environment, our body, and our time, we can start making those changes happen. So let me just unpack that. Have you got a moment that I can unpack those three a little bit? Please do, because
0: that sounds quite challenging, Being becoming greater <laughs> than, than those three things which dominate pretty much the world.
1: Exactly. I think about it. What are the things that push us out of our center, it's often, most often, you tell me, people, right? <laughs> our boss, our spouse, our kids, people that are reacting in ways that we wish they wouldn't. And we get frustrated and we wish they would do things differently. And then it's whether it's a, an illness or whether it's, as I said, power outages or restructuring. So it's people and events that push us out of our calmness. It's also our emotional responses and habits. So how often do we notice things in our external environment or even decisions that we've made ourselves that make us feel upset or frustrated, or we feel bad about something that we could have, should have, would have done differently, or we feel out of control. We start getting distracted, we worry about our busyness, and we become habitual in our emotional responses when we are triggered with those external events or internal thoughts. So when we say becoming greater than your body, the body holds all those emotions and all those habitual emotions, many of which we actually become addicted to over time. And we've become addicted to the chemical response that we have when we have those emotions. It's really quite fascinating when you get into the biochemistry of change. And the third area is time. How many of you would wish that you had more time in life to get through all the demands and all the things and all the goals and everything that you need to do? And that pressure of time really pushing in on us also takes us out of our center and out of that calm ability just to be able to make the great decisions to do that. So now if we want to take those three things, we need to be able to hold a vision of our ideal self or our ideal team or ideal organization. And regardless of what's going on in our external environment, the restructuring, the client crisis, the problem that can't be solved, the new system that's coming in. If we can hold our peace and hold our calm and hold our sense of that vision for ourselves and how we want to show up, then we are no longer a victim to those external events in our environment. And in order for us to do that, we've got to be able to move what we call out of our comfort zone into a discomfort, into that feeling of this is strange for me to stay calm when the whole world around me is panicking. It is feel weird to me to stay listening and leaning into a conversation, a difficult conversation, and all I feel like doing is having a tantrum. And those are the areas from my environment that we need to be able to do differently. And then we need to be able to train our bodies to go from when we are stressed and when we have these external things coming at us, instead of going straight into what we call the stress response, where our bodies move into the sympathetic nervous system, going to fight, flight and freeze and flood our bodies with cortisol and adrenaline, if we can see and notice and observe that happening, and have habits and processes that help us go back into the parasympathetic nervous system through breathing, going for a walk in the garden, going for a a bit of a quiet time, and consciously calming the body down, it takes about 20 minutes for that cortisol to go down through the system. But every time we think about the disaster or we extrapolate a worst case scenario into the future or we remember that thing that went so badly wrong in the past, we recreate that stress response in our body so we become stress bunnies and go into sort of hyper stress mode and continual stress mode because we don't know how to calm that down. So that's a technique that I think everybody to to, to be able to learn so that's quite a
0: difficult process that to master and i suppose it would rely very heavily on an individual becoming aware of those triggers or what is setting off before because mostly we only recognize that when we're at the bottom of the spiral so when we've lost it when we are feeling completely stressed out is there a way that that people can start recognizing this earlier and as you were saying that trigger point And then go and walk in the garden, et cetera, because you're not going to master this in one go. It must be quite difficult. So when do you catch yourself when you slip? How do you come back from that?
1: So Kieran, the latest research talks about a minimum of 18 days to change a habit, but more likely an average of 66. (laughs) In order for you to change a habit, you've got to do something in the same place, same context, same time, same environment, every single day without a break. And often many times a day for you to get to your 18 days. So in order to change a behavior or a habit, you've got to be able to set up daily routines and daily techniques and daily mechanisms to do that. Now, the, the two that work probably the best as you're starting out on this is journaling and noticing and building your level of self-awareness. That is the, really the sort of foundation of personal mastery and getting control back over how you're thinking, how you're acting, how you're feeling. So if you can in a journal or a piece of paper or however you want to do it on your phone, is start noticing and checking into yourself on a daily basis, where are your thoughts? What are you paying attention to? How is your body responding from a stress and attention perspective versus a relaxed and an openness perspective? And making notes of how you showed up in various interactions on that day or the day before. So the more you observe yourself and the more you pay attention to noticing what you are doing, it's called metacognition, above the thinking, the more you can build that natural instinct of noticing where you're at. And then from that point of awareness, you can make a choice. And then you can say, oh, okay, I'm now back in stress mode. I'm all tense and I'm starting to be grumpy with others around me, or I'm starting to make the wrong decisions, or I'm starting to get back into that busyness cycle. And then you can make a choice. You can write down some new things that you're going to do the next day. But we need to be able to Move beyond the discomfort of trying this new thing for a minimum of eighteen days, and more likely sixty-six days. Some of our organisations are working with. We're calling it the hashtag sixty-six day plan, where we can build these new little mechanisms every day. So that's the first thing, is the observation. The second thing is to train your brain to be able to drop from what we call high beta brainwave state, which is a stress state when your brain goes into that threat response, drop it down through beta into alpha state. And be able to create space in our bodies and our brains and our chemistry to actually have the space to have those new thoughts and new options. Because when we're in stress state, our body struggles with options. It goes straight into programmed response, straight into automatic, and we just become we've always been for the reason (laughs) what we have been up until now. When we are able to calm and we're able to get into our relaxed state, in that space, our brains can start looking at information differently, seeing different perspectives, noticing new possibilities, connecting with people to share ideas and make that happen. In order to train your brain into alpha states, that is daily practice. And starting with two minutes, starting with three minutes, five minutes, is just sitting quietly and these various different techniques in terms of body techniques and silent techniques and guided techniques to train your brain to get into that beautiful, relaxed alpha state.
0: Absolutely. I think it's fascinating, but it also it clearly contextualizes why it is so difficult, because it's a journey that could last a lifetime.
1: For sure. And we're coming across a lot of people that have not had a lot of exposure to this practice of self-awareness. But as soon as you switch on that interest and that intent to be self-aware, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a beautiful positive spiral where once it's on, it starts activating and it starts becoming part of your life, and that becomes a lifelong journey, which can be very rewarding.
0: So Debbie, this has been fascinating, and we're coming to the ending of today's session, but if you could share with us, just before we close, what tool or technique can you offer of listeners wanting to change their behavior or wanting to start this journey? Well,
1: we've spoken about that journaling and noticing, so the short one I'll share with you is, if you have a piece of paper, and you have two columns, and you Put on the one column all the positive, constructive, useful thoughts and feelings that you've had today. On the other column, you have the opposite of that, sort of the more negative, pulling down, the limiting thoughts, feelings or activities that you've been busy with. And just on a daily basis, jot down whatever you can remember from that day and start noticing options of how you could have done it differently. So that's the journaling metacognition aspect. The other one that I find is so brilliant and I've been sharing with it with many people, and my, my guardian child did this as he started getting stressed and anxious for exams, is what we call a simple observation practice. So if you're sitting quietly at your chair and you put your five fingertips together, almost like in a bit of a steeple, and all you have to do is focus and you can do this in one to two minutes, the two thumbs touching with your eyes closed and breathe in nice and deeply in and out. So the trick is here is to slow down your breathing, to breathe deeper. And almost have a slightly longer out-breath to in-breath. And that slightly longer out-breath to in-breath calms the nervous system down and actually gives you a sense of safety, your body and your brain, a sense of safety so that the brain can move into a more possibility state than a reactive state. So if we just do so two thumbs touching and you just touch the skins together because this keeps the attention on the body on the present moment, then you can go to your two forefingers-touching, And just feel the energy, feel the skin, feel the warmth. Move on to your two middle fingers touching and do that. Move to your ring fingers touching. Move to your baby fingers touching as you're breathing nice and deeply in and out, calmly. And as you do this, you relax your body. You notice your thoughts. You calm them down. And you do that about three times. Obviously, a little bit slower than I'm doing it right now. And very quickly, your brain will be able to switch in that two, three-minute window into a much more calmer, safer space. And when you come out of that, you'll be able to access your neocortex and your frontal lobe to be able to create new possibilities. I hope that's been useful to everyone listening.
0: It was useful to me. So as you were going through it, I was practicing and I, I felt
1: great. So thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. And there's many more opportunities to learn these different techniques and different habits, Karen. And I think this is the new Skill and talent that we all need to build to be coping—not just coping with and surviving, but to thrive in this world of massive change. It is so exponentially different the world that we're living in and that we're moving into that I think being able to understand how our brains are working, what is going on in our brains, our biochemistry, our stress impact, and learning how to cultivate the brain state and body state that we need to be our absolute high potential, brilliant selves and move through the discomfort and un- and unknown. Through these new habits and routines, and overcoming that addiction of stress, then we'll be able to have a lot more sustained performance and wellness, which I think is critical right now in in the world.
0: Absolutely, and Debbie, your passion for unleashing your others' potentials is just coming through in all of these sessions. In terms of the tools that you have at hand to to work with both individuals, but also within organizations and teams to really get people to connect with themselves and then connect with the team and then really drive change into organizations. So thank you for sharing.
1: That's a pleasure, Karen. For me, uh, I've done team alignment and culture change and personal mastery for many years, but the more I'm doing this work and the more I'm recognizing and working with my clients around culture changes inside out not outside in. So it's not about the values workshops and the poster campaigns and telling people how we want them to behave. That is not going to work. What we need to do is create environments and situations where people can come to insights and awareness and then together have a vision of what that future individual, what that future team and what future organisation looks like and help guide and and coach and catch each other to live into that future as opposed to just repeating all the negative behaviors of the past, and I get it every day, the silo mentality, the judgment, the protection mechanisms, the, the competition instead of collaboration. And that's going to take a lot to change, but we need to start with how we think, how we act, that's and how amazing. we feel. Fantastic. Debbie! thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Karen. I look forward to the next one. Me you.